This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvise's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for her newsletter, please visit her website at vanessasvisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. May these words help and not harm. May they clarify and not confuse. May they self-liberate, leaving no trace behind. Ah, hello, everyone. I'm sorry if I start to get red. It's like 90-something degrees here, and I just close the window and turn off the fan. So it's a little hot. So we're getting to the to the... Uh, how do you say the what stretch, the last stretch, the home stretch of the eight realizations of great beings? I don't know what we're going to talk about next. I think I said, we'll see. Um, and today we're talking about the seventh realization and Norm had um, generously agreed some time ago to give the talk. And um, I said last time, Norm, uh, when you weren't here, that you know it's not easy to put yourself out there like this. So I very much appreciate, and I'm very grateful that you were willing to to do this. So I I'm not going to um, say anything more for now. So why don't you go ahead? So can you hear me? You can hear me, okay, fine. Um, I'll say just a couple of things before I start. I worked very hard on this. Um, it's very, it's short, it's a very short talk. Um, I hope uh, uh, it's worthwhile for you, to, for you to spend time listening to this. And I told Suisse, earlier that I read it a few minutes before we started. And I think it's just terrible. So <laughs> there's one place that I hope I get a couple of chuckles. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand and if just a couple of you unmute and chuckle. I'll give you a little, a little time to set that up. Okay. So here we are. So this is sincerity of intent. At first, um, yes. Can I just have some? I'm hearing music. No, that, that was my phone. That was my phone. Okay. No, I didn't add music to this. Just checking. Just checking. I know. I probably should have. Anyway, so this is sincerity of intent, and I first heard sincerity of intent in our first class on the five spiritual powers. And I was immediately, I was just silenced by it. Like, what is that? Sincerity of intent. So could this be why I don't lose weight, why I can't get on a cane? 
I mean, I've been in a wheelchair and a walker for six years, and I've been wanting to get on a cane for all of those six years. The idea that an aspiration could be strengthened by sincerity had not occurred to me until now. And I spent some time looking at it. Am I sincere in my endeavors? I think I am, but am I really? Maybe sincerity hinges on being clear-headed and present. I've never questioned my sincerity, and I would soon recognize that questioning it now was missing the point. More likely, it's about why do I want to lose weight and why do I want to get on a cane? Maybe it's the why that's brought to an aspiration that reveals our sincerity of intent. So I started looking there. This is from the rhetoric of confession by Edward Fowler. So right intention, which is sincerity, is the foundation of everything we do. Every act or good deed will be judged by the intention behind it. Now, judged is a word I'm used to hearing around Christian theology, and I have not come across it in Buddhist. Or any, I just haven't come across it. So I think we would say right intention, which is sincerity, is the foundation of everything we do. Every act or good deed will impact our karma by the intention behind it. So maybe... Now we're talking about karma, and I still wasn't sure. So we know the secret inner motives of everything we do. It's important for us to look deeply, be honest, and create the right intention and sincere intention, a sincere intention. I want to lose weight because I want my doctor to think I'm taking care of myself. Well, in this case, my willingness to lie will surely lead to more lies and weaken my, my character. Or I want to get on the cane because I want to visit my daughters. Well, I do. But what I really want is to ask a young woman to have dinner with me, and I don't want to go into a restaurant in a wheelchair. So this is where I'm looking for the chuckles. Now, please understand, I'm 82 years old. And when I say a young woman, I'm referring to my 72-year-old neighbor who lives downstairs. Oh, good. I got a chuckle. Thank you. So, so let's get to what sincerity of intent really points to. And this is where we must look directly at karma. The Buddha told us of the tremendous impact that our, motiv that our motivations and intentions have on our lives. If I do something motivated by hate, I'll feel guilt or anger or fear or loneliness or whatever my favorite sort of suffering is. A, a better, easier to see example is just imagine for a moment you decide to write a, rob a bank. What do you think you'll feel immediately after? Probably terror. Yeah, and that's the karmic hammer striking its first blow. But that's obvious. Even if you intend to give the money to your poor suffering mother, you're still, you'll still suffer the karmic effects of robbing a bank. So you can't mess around like that. Now, if a friend confides in you that she is about to rob a bank and you promise not to tell anyone 
but you go to the police in order to save her from harm. So yes, you've caused her great suffering and your intention was to save her from committing a crime that could potentially change or destroy her or destroy her life. Your sincerity of intent has held back the negative karmic hammer. So that's pretty much all I have. I hope it's clear. So we must look deeply at our true and sincere intentions. My experience, in my experience, my true intention can be very elusive. We might say, think before you act. I say, sit before I act. Find yourself in the present, then act. Thank you. Thank you, Norm. Uh, let me mute you, hold on. Okay. So I'm, um, I'm wondering how I'm going to link this to the seventh realization, <laughs> but I'm sure there is a, there's a connection since everything is connected. Um, actually, no, and there is. So the seventh realization is the awareness that the five categories of sensual desire, money, sex, fame, overeating, and oversleeping lead to problems. And the commentary says, although you are in the world, try not to be caught in worldly matters. A monk, for example, has in their possession only three robes and a bowl. They live simply in order to practice the way, their precepts keep them free from attachment to worldly things, and they treat everyone equally and with compassion. One phrase that uh, you offered us, Norm, stayed with me. You said, my favorite flavor, I think, or my favorite taste or something of suffering. And I, I like to remember that because I think that's very rightly put. Suffering, remember, suffering is created, right? Pain sometimes happens to us, but suffering is created. We create it. And often it is according to our preferred mode of suffering. And so, you know, there's, there's a bit of, of repetition in these realizations. But I think if you, if you come close, uh, as with talks, there, there'll be a phrase, right, that will, will jump up and catch you, that will stop you, as Norm said. And for me, it was practitioners of the way live simply in order to practice the way. And I think it, it, it ties back to the one that we spoke of last week on, on poverty, in which I was... Um, speaking of as poverty of, 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 um, of mind, you know, of, of, a, of a narrow view. And so living simply can be uh, um, outward, right? And it can be inward. So let me 
begin with a poem. And then I'll follow it with a story. So the poem is by Hafez. When I want to kiss God. When no one is looking, I swallow deserts and clouds and chew on mountains knowing they are sweet bones. When no one is looking and I want to kiss God, I just lift my own hand to my mouth. And the story I want to tell you is the story of Weineng and Monk Mio, Weineng. And, and that's actually, a, uh, I am mixing the Chinese opinion and the Japanese because um, Monk Mio's name is not often translated into English. I, I have one of the translations has it, but it's packed. I don't have it with me. And Wenong, as um, probably all of you know, was the sixth ancestor. And I think what's, what's remarkable about the story, as the story begins, there's many things that are remarkable, but he was, he was said to be illiterate and yet deeply realized at one point. The, the, the story says that when he was 18, he was in a market and he heard a phrase and the phrase was from the Diamond Sutra And I don't remember exactly what the phrase was, but he heard this phrase and he had a spontaneous realization. And he decided that he needed to clarify it and that he was going to travel north uh, to the monastery of the great of the renowned at the time, fifth ancestor, Hongren. And so he sets off and as you know, in those days setting off meant walking and so it's probably several months later when he gets there to the monastery and um, the fifth ancestor greets him. Probably there was a whole line of people that he had to go through first. And then he meets with the fifth ancestor. And uh, Wenong says to him, I, I came for the Dharma. I came uh, to learn from you. And Wenang uh, Hongren just looks him up and down and says, you Southern monkey, you Southern barbarian, one of the other translations says, you Southern barbarians, you Southern monkeys don't have but a nature. What are you talking about? What are you looking for here? And Wenang, without even getting ruffled says, you can think about, you can speak of North and South in terms of many things, but not in terms of the Buddha Dharma. And the fifth ancestor realizes, okay, this kid has something. And so he sends him to the rice shed and he puts him there to work. And then he doesn't talk to him again. And then one day there's an announcement that um, Hongren has decided that he's ready to transmit the Dharma. And how he's going to do it is he's, he's, he's challenging, he's asking all of his monks to write a poem. And the one who shows his, because they were all men, the one who shows his realization, uh, the, the clearest realization will be the one to succeed him. And most of the monks in the monastery, and this monastery had probably something like 1500 monks, 
they decide they're not even going to try because they're sure that um, Shen Xiu, the head monk, is the, 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 the heir apparent. He's clearly the next in line. And so uh, one night, Shen Xiu, Shen Xiu kind of quaking in his boots, in the middle of the night, he goes to this wall and writes the following poem, a very famous poem that says, the body is a Bodhi tree, the tree of enlightenment, the mind like a bright mirror stand, time and again brush it clean and let no dust alight. And um, Huinang hears, you know, that there is this challenge, if you will, and he taps one of the monks as he's passing along the corridor and he says, would you mind uh, showing me, uh, reading me this poem out loud? And the monk just looks him up and down with disdain. He says, you, you can't even read? Of course, you, you, you can't even imagine what this is talking about, but fine, you know, I'll read it for you. And so he reads it aloud. And Wenang says very simply, well, it's okay but not quite right. And the monk is just looking at him like, right. He says, well, would you mind, would you just write this down for me? And the monk humors him and says, okay, what should I write? Thinking that he's gonna be completely ridiculed. And so this is the, the poem that Huinang dictates. Originally, Bodhi has no tree. The bright mirror has no stand. Originally, there is not a single thing where it can dust a light. And I hope this is giving you echoes of something. So think about it for a moment. The first one is there's a mind and there's a bright mirror and you constantly have to brush it clean so that the dust doesn't collect on it. And in the second he says, there's no mirror, there's no bright stand. He stops short of saying there's no mind. He's, but he does says, originally, there is not a single thing where it can dust the light. And originally, originally, Bodhi has no tree. Originally, there's not a single thing. Make note of this word, word originally, because he'll say it again. And so he's really, in, in a very um, unobtrusive ways saying you know let's let's just kind of put things in their proper place you know let's let's right or wrong uh, oh no sorry so the the next day comes around Hongren reads both poems he doesn't say a single thing and then that evening he goes to the rice shed and in the middle of the night it said he covers all the windows of the shed and in secret transmits the Dharma to Huinang. And that practice uh, continues to this day. So the transmission ceremony happens in the middle of the night in a room that is completely covered and which no one else can enter except for the teacher, the person who's receiving transmission and usually another, another attendant. So for 1500 years or so, probably in a slightly more elaborate way, this, this ceremony continues. And he, say, he gives the robe and the bowl to Huinang saying, okay, this is, this is yours now. But if, you know, remember he's like 18 years old, says you should go into the mountains 
and uh, hide for 20 years and let your, your, um, uh, let your understanding mature. And I won't tell anybody what has happened tonight. And so in the middle of the night, now I guess in the, the morning, uh, Wenong leaves, taking the robe and the bowl, the symbol of the transmission with him. And the next morning, when it's time for Wenong to um, uh, give a talk, he says, um, there's no talk today because the, the, the Dharma is not here. And so all of the monks freak out and start to wonder what is happening. And then they realized after a few hours that Huinung is missing and that the robe and bowl are missing. And completely beside themselves, uh, they're the ones who, who feel they need to right the, the wrong and correct the injustice. They feel that something has been taken. And so they decide they're going to catch up to Huinung and bring back what was, what was taken. And this posse leaves with Monk Myo, who used to be a general, at the head. And uh, being very determined in spirit and a very um, single-minded, he eventually catches up to Huinong, who puts the robe and bowl on a rock in front of the two of them, between the two of them, and says, I didn't take anything. If you want the robe, here it is, you take it. And Monk Nyo steps forward and tries to pick up the robe and he can't. It's immovable. Kind of like that, the King Arthur story with Excalibur on the, the, the stone. Nobody but the right person can pick up the sword. Just so Monk Nyo cannot pick up the robe and when he realizes it, he immediately you know, starts sweating profusely. He drops to his knees and he says to Wenong, I did not come for the robe. I came for the Dharma. Will you please teach me? In this moment, I've realized my purpose. And this is, this is me speaking. In this moment, it, with, with, with this simple incident, I've realized what I've been looking for all these years, that all of these years, from the first moment that I, that I set on the path, not even knowing clearly what it was that I was looking for, certainly not knowing where the path would lead me, I just had this sense, right? At the beginning, you just have the sense that there's more to life than getting by, marking time, getting lost in senseless pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure, but getting lost. And so maybe I picked up a book. I went to a class or a workshop. I received beginning instruction and I turned in to look at my mind, to still my body. And little by little, I began to see what happens when you get caught up in greed when you look for security where it doesn't exist or where you look when you look for power or an easy fix, when you look for comfort where there is no comfort. 
So Norm spoke about, you know, the, the, the sincerity of intent. What are we looking for when we begin looking? Do we know? And in that moment, Monk Mir realizes, I didn't come for the robe. I don't actually want the power. I don't actually want the recognition and the position. I want to be free. I want to be free. Will you please teach me? And Wei Nong looks at him and says, think neither good nor evil, one of the most famous koans. Think neither good nor evil. At this very moment, what is the original face of Monk Myo? What is he asking him? What is it like when you swallow deserts and clouds? How is that possible? Because it is possible. How is it when you chew on mountains like sweet bones? Whose bones? How do you kiss God? When no one is looking and I want to kiss God, says Hafez, and it has to be when no one is looking. You understand? Not even you. And so students live simply in order to practice the way. But what does that mean? What does it mean truly when each of us is living in the world, right? Among family, among friends, among work and other responsibilities, among the stresses of every day. What does that actually mean to live simply? You can't, most of us can't just have three bowls and a robe. So how do you live simply? How do you live, live simply at heart? How do you have a, a, a mind simple, that is simple in the sense of that is free of clutter? How do you not, not let knowing cloud your seeing? Remember, there was very little that the sixth ancestor knew, that Huinang knew in terms of having knowledge. And this is what I ask myself really every day. I, I've said this before, or I wrote it somewhere. You know, in this moment, am I um, fulfilled? Am I happy? And most importantly, am I free? Because if I'm not free, then what is all this practice for? What am I looking for? For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazvisegoddard.org.